Okay, so we've made it. Today marks our final sermon in the series, our Bible engagement series through the book of Joshua. It has been an awesome series. Uh, Joshua is one of my favorite books, um, so I was excited to begin with, but uh, it just shows you how many times you can go back to the same text, but find something new every time. Scripture is so rich and so deep. And it is forever able to transform us. And so I hope that you've enjoyed the journey. Uh, We hope that you've grown through it, that you've been challenged. um, As you've engaged with God's word, that you've been able to grow. And uh, that that has been a good journey for you. And so uh, today, we're going to look at the final chapter of Joshua. And we'll see how Joshua as a whole, this entire story, has uh, brought us to a place of walking in covenant obedience. Walking before, during, and after the promise. How we can continue to partner with God in his divine actions. We trust him and we walk faithfully with him in partnership. So this morning we'll cap it off. We will walk with Joshua as he takes us on a journey through the Israelites' history. I don't know if you're a history buff, if you love history or not, but we're going to look at it. And uh, history teaches us so much. We cannot ignore or forget history because there are so many important things within it. Uh, Today, we're also going to look at that really famous, beautiful, wonderful proclamation that Joshua gives when he says, me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I know some of you have been waiting. You're thinking, we're getting all the way through Joshua, and I can't wait to get to this scripture. And we're going to get it. We're going to get there. It's going to be a great morning. Now, we're going to do a difficult thing. We're going to read the whole chapter, (laughs) but I'm not going to make you read the whole chapter. I am going to read the whole chapter. You're going to read half of the chapter uh, because I love you. And so what we're going to do is we are all going to stand. Why don't you stand at this point? Uh, We're going to stand. We're going to honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to read the first 13 verses to you. This is the history as Joshua works through it of the Israelites and God's faithfulness to them. And then when we get to verse 14, I'm going to pause, because first service, they were so excited, they were ready to jump in. I'm so glad that they are ready to jump in, but I'm going to pause, so, so don't jump in yet. And then we're going to read the rest of it together. I'll, I'll lead you when we get there. And so we're reading out of Joshua 24, and here's the first half, verses 1 through 13. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all of the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. And to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Seir to Esau, but Jacob and his family went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. I brought you out. Then I brought your people out of Egypt. You came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried out to the Lord with help. And he put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and covered them. You saw with your own eyes what I did to the Egyptians. Then you lived in the wilderness for a long time. 
I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived east of the Jordan, and they fought against you, but I gave them into your hands. I destroyed them from before you, and I took possession of their land. When Balak, son of Zippor, the king of Moab, prepared to fight against Israel, he sent for Balaam, son of Beor, to put a curse on you. But I would not listen to Balaam, so he blessed you again and again, and I delivered you out of his hand. In verse 11, then you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the citizens of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites and the Pezites, the Canaanites, Hittites, Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. But I gave them into your hands. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also, the two Amorite kings, you did not do it with your own sword or bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build. And you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. The Lord has a great history for them and he walks them through it succinctly, but importantly. And so now we're going to read the second half together. Beginning in verse 14. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of your Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord, to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt and from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Chesham, he reaffirmed them decrees and laws. Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak near the holy place of the Lord. See, he said to the people, this stone will be a witness against us. 
It has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. It will be a witness against you if you are untrue to your God. Then Joshua dismissed the people, each to their own inheritance. Well done. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word that it is never old or tiring or bored, but there is always something new to pull from it. So I ask that you would soften our hearts to your truth this morning. Allow us to learn and grow and be changed because of it. Holy Spirit, enlighten us and be with us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Chapter 24 of Joshua is this beautiful farewell address. As Joshua is ending his leadership, he is urging the Israelites to remember. Moses did the same thing. In his farewell address to the Israelites, it was the entire book of Deuteronomy, he does the same thing. He urges the Israelites to remember. They say, do not forget Do not forget all of the things that the Lord has done for you because they say, friends, they are many. The Lord has done so many things. In the first portion that I read to you, the history, it covers these things. Do not forget the history. Joshua and Moses both hold a strong emphasis on God's faithfulness to the people as they walk through difficult trials, they recount God's faithfulness to them. While Moses does take 33 chapters to go through the history of the Israelites, Joshua takes two, chapters 23 and 24, and he breaks it down in four quick bites. In verse two, he goes through the patriarchs. He goes back to their ancestors and reminds them, this is where you came from. In verses 5 and five through 7, he walks back through the Exodus, those long days through the wilderness. In verses 8 through 10, they go through the Transjordian victories. We have to remember the good times, not just the difficult ones. And then in verses 11 through 13, they cover the conquests in the promised land. They made it. They made it to the promised land. And as he goes through this brief account of history, we see that it's intentional. There was a purpose for the historical review. When we look at the patriarchs, arcs, we understand that Joshua had to go back to the beginning to remind the Israelites that I knew you before you were formed. This journey began before you. However, if you continue on it, it'll go past your line. It came all the way to us. Verses 2 and 3 said, Long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. God had a plan. All they had to do was follow that plan. Their ancestors set a plan in motion. They just had to walk forward. He reminds them to keep going because you started somewhere and you will end somewhere. In the Exodus, verses 5 through 7, there's this really incredible shift in the language. God stops talking about their fathers, 
he was using language that says, your fathers reached, your fathers cried out, but then he brings them into the story. He includes them in the history and he says, I brought you out. You reached, your own eyes saw. They became part of the story here. And recalling history holds an important part in our life because it forces us to remember the things that we've forgotten or maybe the things we've chosen to forget. It's easy to remember the good and to see all the good that was in it. We forget the tough times, recognizing that it is in the toughest of times that we often grow the most. And each of these four sections that they walked through in their history, there is a repeated emphasis of God as the doer and the Israelites as the recipients. God works they receive. God describes the actions of deliverance of his very own. He says, I did this. I took, I gave, I sent, I defeated. I did this for you. I brought, I handed, I destroyed, I rescued. God had a key part in every major and minor moment in their lives. In doing so, he reminds them of his continued plan and provision. He said, I was with you. They were the recipients, and he was the reason for their success. In every act, plan, or move of God, there's a shared responsibility of divine action and human response that results in receiving the promise. God acts. We follow. We walk in his goodness. We walk in his faithfulness. We see the promises of God fulfilled. We don't move before him. We wait for him. He moves. We respond. He reminds the Israelites of this when he points out their human responses to his divine actions. He says, you reached and you lived and you possessed and you crossed because of me. You did not toil. You did not build. You did not plan. I did these things for you. I did the hard work. You just had to walk forward. Friends, we cannot forget what has been done for us. We cannot forget who leads and prepares and provides the way for us every single day of our lives. We are walking in a history that God says, I'm going to move. You just have to follow. Partner with me and you will see the good things of God. Friends, we know that his eternal faithfulness and his covenant promises tell us that he will never leave us, nor will he forsake us. Do you know what he will do? He will discipline us. Discipline is a good thing. It's part of accountability. If parents don't discipline their children, we get spoiled children. We get immature adults. As God disciplines us as his children, he is helping us grow. He is helping us mature. He is helping us become the people he intended us to be. And this is what Joshua is saying to the Israelites in this next section that we move into. As, the, as Joshua declares that infamous, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. This moving declaration, as wonderful as it is, and we want to fly our banners around it and post it in our homes and say, me and my household, we serve the Lord. Uh, it's not just fluffy goodness. This wasn't a statement that came out of celebration. It wasn't even a statement... That, that came out of hope over their future. It was 
the declaration of a choice. Joshua was urging the Israelites to make a choice, to choose a faithful life of following the Lord. Ultimately, he was asking them to choose the hardest things, accountability, discipline, and obedience. And he says, choose these things over comfort and ease. Choose them over serving yourself. He says, you choose. You have to choose. No one can choose it for you. You choose. In verses 14 and 15, we read, it says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable for you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says, it's your turn. You choose. Choose then for yourselves this day who you will serve. When we declare this commitment to Christ, we are choosing to follow the Lord no matter what. For all costs, under all decisions, all that comes with it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the difficult, the wonderful. We are saying, yes, Lord, I choose you. The cost is high, but so is the reward. The reward is eternal. When was the last time you counted the cost? When you considered the commitment you had made to follow Jesus? As society swirls around us and the winds change and we begin maybe seeing our very first tastes of hostility or hate towards religious affiliation, does it cause you to wonder, can I continue to count the cost? Do I have what it takes to have rooted faith? Or is it too hard? Is following Christ worth it? Parents or grandparents, have you ever had that fleeting thought run through your mind? And sometimes we shoo it away and we think, oh, that was silly. And sometimes it digs in. But have you ever had the thought, will my children be able to uphold their faith? Will my children be able to stand their ground as culture shifts, as religious acceptance and tolerance dissipates? Will they be able to sustain their world, their faith in a world that says, Faith is naive, it is hateful, it is bigoted. Can they do it? How can they do it? It's okay if you've wondered these things. I've had the thought about my children. How will they sustain their faith in such a hateful world? But in that moment, we have to push the thoughts away and say, they can because I know the one who holds them. I know their creator and I know the sustainer of their faith and the one that they have chosen because it is their choice. As individual followers of Christ, as those striving to build our own faith in the faith of those around us, in the faith of the generations to come, we have to first decide for ourselves whom we will follow. 
We decide just as Joshua urged the Israelites, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve and choose it again tomorrow and choose it again the next day and remain steady in that faith, unchanging and unmoved. And sure, maybe the thoughts will come, but you dispel them with truth, the truth of God's word and the history of God's righteousness. The other thing we do comes out of Romans chapter 10, and this is so important. Chapter 10, verses 9 through 14 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on his name. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And verse 14 says this, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And I'm not talking about preaching to them. I'm talking about telling the truth of who God is. I'm talking about sharing your testimony and declaring the truths and taking the time to tell people who Jesus is and what your faith commitment looks like. It's not just hoping or wishing, it's, it's telling we build our faith and we instill it in the next generation by telling them the truth and the history of who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is capable of doing. We don't tell them once and hope for the best. We tell them and we tell them and we tell them again. We keep the history and we keep the truth before them because setting it as a reminder helps to dispel the lies. The lies that come from this world and the lies that come from Satan himself, it keeps the truth before them. So we let our resounding yes be a yes, Lord. I choose to follow you. It is your choice alone. I can't make it for you. No one can make it for you. Nobody can even wish it or hope it into being. It is a choice you make for yourself. If it was otherwise, everyone would be believers. I would will it into being because I don't want to see anyone miss out on eternity with Jesus. But we make our own decisions and our children make their own decisions and their children beyond them will make their own decisions. And each day we remake our decisions because it is your choice alone about who you serve and why you are serving him. Friends, he is the creator of all of heaven and all of earth. He is the one who knows and judges all. He is the one who generously gives forgiveness and justification. And he gifts salvation freely and willingly and instantaneously as soon as we ask him. He casts our sins, our failures, our mistakes so far away from us that he cannot recall them because he covers them with love. In return, all he asks for is our commitment, our obedience, our devotion to walk with him.
My prayer is that each of us would be people of faith, steady, grounded, firm faith that is unmoved by the winds of change. We are unmoved by turmoil or uncertainty. May those be the times that we dig in. Even, oh, I loved those baptism testimonies. They declared this truth this morning. In times of uncertainty and times of change, I think it was Ben who said it, he, in the darkest hours, he has clung to the Lord and the Lord has met him there. And if the Lord can, he says, if the Lord can meet me in my darkest spots, he can meet me anywhere. And the truth is the same for you. He will meet us anywhere. And so in our times of desperation, in our times of uncertainty, that is when we choose. We have been given the right to choose. We choose to cling to the Lord. Because, friends, he is the one and only one who can pull you through. Moving into verses 16 and 17, there's this crucial shift that takes place. And I I titled it weirdly, but it's going to stick with you because of that. Um, I called it the Our Us and We shift. Our, us, and we. It's because the Israelites did something really important here. In verses 16 and 18, they could have really easily responded to Joshua's question of, who are you going to serve? And they could have said, Joshua, we're going to serve the Lord. Easy peasy, it's done. Uh, There's our commitment. Um, But they didn't do that. They did something far greater. They chose to acknowledge their history and then insert themselves into it. By doing so, they proved to Joshua that they knew, this is important. I have counted the cost. I have weighed my options. I understand. I understand the history, and I understand what's coming in the future. You read this? It's it's really cool. Maybe I'm a geek. Uh, It's really cool because the first-person pronouns enter the scene. The our, us, and we. It wasn't there in the first half of the chapter. It enters the scene. It's because they decided to personalize it. Let me read it to you. It's in verses 16 to 18. I highlighted the the words. Then the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all of the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in this land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Isn't that cool? Isn't that incredible? God's word has so much to tell us if we'll just stop and look at the words. They are no longer looking at their parents' history. They're seeing it as their own. They've considered themselves within the part of that history. They've considered their future and their part in it. They've changed their view and they've stepped into their role as the children of God. They've said, yes, we can. We get it, Joshua. We've counted the cost and it is hard and it will be difficult. And and we might not like it all the time, but it is worth it is what they've said. It is worth the cost. I heard Ben and and Julia say this in their testimonies this morning. The very things, it was their shift from their parents' faith to their faith. 
They made the choice. It became theirs. They counted the cost, and they considered it was worth it every moment. It created this really beautiful our, us, and we moment for us. We got to watch and participate with them as they took that step in their faith. We are part of their history. What are your our, us, and we moments in your spiritual history? What are the moments that God has pulled you through? And who are the people who walked through that with you? Are they your small group people? Are those sitting around you? Are they your friends in the youth group or in our young adults ministry? Who are the people who are walking with you? Because I'll tell you, the Our Us We history of WPA, it is something special. Whether you have been part of it for 40 years or the last 40 minutes, you are now part of what God is doing here. You are part of the shared, collective, rich history of WPA. As we look forward and we continue to walk forward in our future, we recognize that we can only do so because we have a history. In every act, plan, or move of God, there is a shared responsibility of divine action and human response that results in receiving the promise. God moves, we act, we walk in the promise together. So I want to challenge you to do something that I know some of you are going to find a challenge. But that's okay. It's good. It's healthy. It's a faith-building activity that I hope we can implement into our lives. It's one of sharing testimony. Over the next number of weeks, I want you to get into the habit of asking one another to share your spiritual history. Say, hey, tell me about something that God has done in your life while you've been at WPA. Let's share our stories, our salvation stories, our baptism stories, our stories of healing and miracles, our stories of the really difficult seasons that God pulled us through. Because this is our shared history. When we share it, we get to celebrate it. We understand it. We know it. We become part of it. In order to do that, I need you to understand something very, very important. You carry our history. It's within you. You carry the testimonies, the stories, the truths about who God is and what he's done in our midst. It is your responsibility to carry it and to share it so it is not lost. As new people join the church and as new generations grow up and begin to learn the truths of our faith, they need to know the testimonies of what God has done. Because the testimonies teach them about who God is. They teach him about what he is capable of and what he can do in their lives too. We need to be a church that strives to share our testimonies, that we don't hold it for ourselves. We share what God is doing, keeping the truth in front of us. Because we know that our our testimonies are not about us anyway. They're about God, about his faithful provision to keep his promises. Just as the Israelites had to remember the past and consider the future, And they're part of it. I urge each and every one of us to do the same. Continue to consider the future and your part in it so we can experience the 
the our, us, and we parts of our history. As Joshua encouraged the Israelites to make their commitment, he said, you better think twice about it before you make your commitment. Don't just jump in not considering the cost, because it is a big cost, friends. In verses 19 to 28, we read about Joshua pushing back against the Israelites as they try to make this commitment to him. In verse 18, they declare, yes, Joshua, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Remember, we got all excited. He is our God. But then right then, in verse 19, he says, nope, you can't do it. Verse 19 says, Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you. And after he has been good to you, he's saying, you aren't capable. I know you. You can't do it. You will walk away and you will serve other gods and you will serve other things. Because they're easier. Because following God is hard. And it takes work. And he says, God's going to judge you for it. He will destroy you because you will be unfaithful to him. Don't even bother because you don't have the capacity. But I love the Israelites here. They pushed Joshua. They pushed back because they had already counted the cost. They were ready to make the decision because they knew it was worth it. Verse 21, the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, okay, fine. Your witness is against yourselves. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Okay, then, says Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord, our God, and obey him. We can do it. Just watch. Why do you think Joshua was so hard on them? Why do you think he doubted them so greatly? Was it because he saw them fail so many times before? Did he just lose his faith in them? Or was it something else? Was it that he really deeply just wanted them to count and consider the cost? Did he want them to, to choose in a way that they would not recant? They won't change their minds because they had to think so hard about their commitment. He's reminding them, this, this commitment, it's not small. Think twice. And if you're ready, I'll support you, but make sure you think twice. He says the cost is high, but so is the reward. When we choose to follow Christ, we choose difficult things. We choose submission and obedience and accountability and discipline. And those things are painful and they are uncomfortable, but they are worth it. They go against everything that is normal <laughs> and even our preferences. He's urging them not to sign up for the journey if they're not willing to put in the work. And the same is true not only about salvation, but also about water baptism, about church membership, and about marriage. When a commitment is made before the Lord and even before the assembly of people, people are held in expectation to uphold their commitment. 
accountability is why salvation is not a secret. And it's why weddings require witnesses. It's why baptisms are a public declaration of our faith. And church membership is a process that involves others. Each is based on relationship and commitment. These things produce a good spiritual fruit that builds our faith as we walk in obedience to the Lord. In the end, the Israelites, they did commit. Verse 24, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. And Joshua, he does accept their commitment. He says, okay. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people. And there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law of God. Joshua held them to their commitment. So I ask you the same. Who is holding you to your commitment? Who do you have in your life that keeps you accountable to these things that you've promised to God? Are you in the habit or in the space of receiving accountability? Not resenting accountability, receiving accountability. As a worship team joins me back on the stage this morning, the question is this. How is your commitment going? If you've made the commitment to follow the Lord, how are you doing? Are you upholding it? Are you keeping him in the priority that you promised? When was the last time that you affirmed, I will serve you, Lord? Have you decided which will you serve? Is it the gods living around us in this beautifully diverse nation of Canada? Is it the gods of comfort and culture? Is it the God of self? Or is it the one true living God? Whom do you serve? Sometimes we can allow our commitments to slip. Life gets full or busy. We add too many things in and things slip. Isn't it interesting how the most important things are always the things that require the most of us? Our intentionality, our time, our self-discipline, our sacrifices. They're things like God, ministry, family, our closest friendships, our relationships, education, our careers. They take work. And sometimes we stop working on them and their priority slips. So what commitments in your life right now hold those top priority spots? Is it your commitment to the Lord? Where does it fall on your list? Is it something that you need to step back and reevaluate, maybe reorganize your list? Place the Lord back where he deserves to be, which is at the top. Remind yourself of your history, your spiritually rich history of all of the places that God has taken you out of or brought you into, the ways he has cared for you and provided for you. Because those moments reignite our faith and help us restore the priority. And friends, if you find yourself in the place where you have never made a commitment to the Lord, you've never decided to choose a personal relationship with him or to acknowledge Christ for who he is, can I encourage you to do that? As I've laid out this morning, it comes at a high cost, but the reward is worth everything. 
The reward is eternal salvation from condemnation. It's salvation from eternity in hell. Your deliverance from evil turns into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing better than that. He is the one who will bring you from every situation and circumstance. He is the one who will walk you through. Scripture tells us that he will never leave you or forsake you. He will never forget about you or leave you to your own devices. He walks with you. If you'd like to chat about that, if you have questions about that, if you're ready to make a decision to make that commitment to follow Christ, we'll have a team right up here at the front, right after service. They would love to pray with you. They would love to answer questions. They would love to talk with you. And afterwards, they'll walk you out to the Next Steps Corner where we have a Bible. I would love to give you a Bible. I love giving out Bibles. We've got a Bible and we've got information on what's next or how do I answer these questions. Faith is a journey. And we would love to walk that journey with you if you would let us. Each of us, friends, we are all part of this incredible journey, this history of of Christ. It's being built around us. We have to continue to share it. Let us never stop remembering the history and sharing and counting the costs. So we can not only confidently declare Joshua's declaration of, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But let us be a people who will also choose to declare the Israelites' declaration of, we too will serve the Lord, because he is our God. Let's pray.